It's like, you guys want some cheese? And we're like, no. He's like, all right, cool. And then he whips a Yui like on the road right next to us and goes back the way he was going. And it's like, he just made this huge U-turn to offer us some random people cheese. Like, yep. I have no idea what this is about. <laughs> but yeah, it's really random stuff. <laughs> why, why did you take the cheese? This episode is brought to you by Zeratex Software Development. Are you a company whose commitment to excellence demands effective software tools? Let the team at Zeratex Software Development help build or enhance your technological systems with mobile, web, and backend solutions. You can find them at zeratech.com. That's X-E-R-A-T-E-C.com. Hey guys, on today's episode of the podcast, I sat down and chatted with Nathan Ackerman. Nathan is a engineer by training, uh, but he's part owner of Chicken Trapper Ultralight Gear. Uh, he owns this with Austin Gongus, who I had on the podcast previously. But Chicken Trapper is a, a really a backpacking company. Go check them out on all their different socials or their websites, chickentrappergear.com, uh, but on Instagram, stuff like that under Chicken Trapper or Chicken Trapper Gear. Uh, got into some of his backstory of hiking, backpacking, how he got into that, uh, how that led to him starting this company with Austin, which we heard some of that when he talked to Austin, but it was fun to hear that as well from here through Nathan's lens. Uh, and again, just hear about what hiking is and what backpacking is and what it means to him. Uh, so I really appreciated visiting with Nathan. I hope you guys enjoy this one. Welcome to the Obsessed Podcast. I'm your host, Logan Herkus. In this podcast, we get to meet and hear from folks who are obsessed with a wide array of interesting endeavors. We dive into some awesome stories and look at the mindsets and the psychology of those who are obsessed. Let's go. Nathan, thanks for coming in. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, I'm pumped to hear, especially this time of year, like uh, I've said it before, in the hiking world, that's something I'm excited about. I got introduced to it through hunting, but this time of year, I'm anxious. Like I can't wait to go out and go hike and you could mm -hmm. in the winter, but either way I don't. Uh, so right now, especially is why I'm excited to talk to you is just to hear about that and live vicariously through some of your stories, stuff like that. Right. But uh, hiking, backpacking, that whole world, how did you get into it? Um, so yeah, that's if I think way back. Yeah. Um, I kind of, you know, grew up going outside and just, you know, uh, I grew up on like a little 10 acre hobby farm. So going outside was a super normal thing for me. So I grew up walking around in the woods and the fields and everything else. Uh, and I never really did a whole lot of camping with my family. But then once I got into scouting, that's when we, you know, we're doing camp outs when it was nice out, like, you know, every month we'd go camp someplace. Mm -hmm. So going to like rifle river recreation area, which is, um, down by kind of Claire area. Mm -hmm. um, that was one of the things that was, we would always do tons of fun down there. Um, so those camp outs with all those guys was probably like my first foray into like actual camping and backpacking other than me just like sleeping outside sometimes as a kid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that's probably what, you know, really got me pushed going. Uh, and then eventually I think it was like my sophomore year in high school. Um, you know, a couple of us through the troop, we went out and hiked on Isle Royal. So we were out there for seven days mm. and that was a great trip. And that was my first like long-term backpacking trip. So, mm. you know, it's one of those classic 
classic things. We're all like a bunch of kids out there that we kind of think we know what we're doing and we're all in like pretty decent shape. But of course we all brought like way too much food and all this stuff we didn't use and all that kind of thing. But right. it was still great. And you know, Isle Royale is a beautiful place. So I think that's probably what, you know, initially really hooked me on. Like, wow, if I can figure out this backpacking thing, I can go to all these crazy places and walk along all these cool trails and, you know, see all these animals and all these beautiful scapes and all that stuff. And, right. you know, that's probably what got me started. Yeah. Okay. And, and I, I, I want to continue to down the trajectory, but I'm curious. So I had Austin, your, your business partner on Austin Gongas, mm-hmm. right. With, yep. and you guys own, and we'll talk about it. Chicken tramper, ultralight gear. Right. Yep. Uh, but what was your intersection with him? Cause he had a similar story. I mean, again, I'm, I'm a, a year, I'm a year removed from my conversation with him, but when did you guys become introduced together in the backpacking or hiking world? Yeah. So Austin and I actually got together, not through backpacking and hiking initially, uh, but okay. just through school. So we both okay. went to Michigan tech, um, and, uh, started in fall of 2013 okay. coming up, uh, 10 years there. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so we got introduced and then we're, uh, basically both through the fraternity. Uh, so we're both members of Phi Kappa Tau fraternity in Hancock. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we joined at the same time and that was the first time I met austin and then we've been doing stuff ever since essentially whether that's you know hanging out and doing homework or uh you know going out on the town or going into the woods and staying a couple nights in some random spot okay so your initial introduction was those uh through boy scouts right Mm -hmm. and then isle royal was the big flare up uh but then austin you had met and got introduced going to michigan tech yep yeah okay. so I, I knew him starting at, at college yeah okay i got gotcha. you so you went out to Isle Royale, and this is just a bunch of friends through boy scouts that mm-hmm. we were with then? yeah it was oh. my patrol and a couple other guys so i think there was like eight of us and then three adults that went out there okay so smallish group nothing too crazy yeah and at this point i guess I, i'm always curious about like at what point are like right now it's a huge part of your identity right mm-hmm. like this is something you live about you think you eat breathe whatever when in that process and again we're jumping around but when in that process did that happen like that first isle royal trip or like this is me i'm a part of this forever i was like that's cool let's see where this goes or, or yeah uh, i mean definitely like i think that isle royal trip that was probably one of the the first times that it like kind of started cementing my brain of like all right this like long distance backpacking thing is definitely the way to go because mm-hmm. you know going out and day hiking and camping and campgrounds and stuff is you know fun and there's you know there's nothing wrong with it. It's just like, you know, for me, when I want to go out in the woods and stuff like that, I want to try and get away from everybody else as much as possible. So, mm-hmm. uh, going out to Isle Royal, which is extremely remote and extremely beautiful. Like, you know, there's more moose out there than there are people, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's probably what initially kind of got that bug in me. Um, and then, you know, through college going around and backpacking and doing some more stuff like that with friends through college, uh, you know, kind of got in there more and, you know, the more you go out there and do it, the more you learn about all these other places that are out there and all these other cool things to do and see mm-hmm. um and then uh, austin as we were graduating brought up hiking the pacific crest trail and uh so he decided he was going to hike the whole thing after we graduated um and then at this point i silly me had signed up to have a job already so mm-hmm. i had like one about a month and a half uh, after graduation that i could go out and do something so then i went out and hiked on the pacific crest trail with austin um, and to do that, we both like made our own backpacks because we were broke and backpacks are expensive and right. our Osprey backpacks like weigh a bunch. Yeah. <laughs> I think my Osprey is like eight pounds or something like that, which is nuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we made our own backpacks and tried them out on the trail. Um, and basically I think when I was out there just hanging out with the people that are out there on the trail and seeing all the beautiful things out there in the desert, I hiked, um, the desert section of California. So the yeah. Southern section, um, 
but yeah, I, I think that's the the trip that really did it. I think you know because oh, yeah. after making our own backpacks, um, basically seeing how the process of that went, and you know I grew up you know making things with my hands my whole life, so I'm you know I love putting stuff together, learning new skills, you know in that vein. Uh, and once we got out there talking to people about how you know either some if somebody has a backpack usually there's like two or three things that they love about it and there's two or three things that they hate about it hmm. and it seemed like all right there's something some sort of middle ground in here that someone not is not hitting in the market hmm. that you know maybe we could make a go of this and maybe we can just give the people what they're asking for and not all this extra stuff that they don't want right. uh, and make a go of it and so when we were out there, I think we just both fell in love with hiking and just, you know, trying to walk, you know, 20 to 30 miles a day and just keep going north. And uh, we got a lot of uh, interest and stuff with some of the stuff that was on our backpacks, like feature-wise, uh, which was cool, which our backpacks now ended up looking completely different than those yeah. first ones, which is good because those first ones had some problems. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, and then after, like, the, the month I was out there, like, you know, went back uh, – to wisconsin and then uh, started my job and uh you know we just started spitballing while austin was out on the trail and it just he just uh, kept interviewing people and the more people he talked to the more stuff they were telling him there was that they didn't like and wished it was this way versus the other way so he had a lot of really good data just from uh, personal feedback from people on you know maybe the direction we should be going in and so then i just started looking at like all right well how do we do all these complicated seam sort of things bought a sewing machine so you know instead of using my mom's you know 70 year old one or however old that thing was mm-hmm. um got our own sewing machine and started prototyping some things i sent austin a fanny pack and a few other things to try out while he was on trail and then it just kind of seemed like the thing that we should at least try and it snowballed from there i guess yeah right <laughs> Uh, and that middle ground of the pack world, again, we'll get, I want to get into some of the different stories too, but the middle ground of the pack world was essentially, you've got your extreme end, which is your ultra ultra light, no Mm -hmm. support type stuff. And you've got your eight pound Osprey, right? Mm -hmm. You're saying that you just try to fit the middle of that. Yeah, so we're technically still in the ultralight, you know, area, but yeah. we're kind of at the top end weight-wise, okay. and that's because we really want to try and balance, you know, lightweight as a total, you know, product, but we also want to make sure that it's super durable because right. another thing that we ran into out there was people that had, you know, these big name brand packs that, you know, weigh nothing. Like, they're super, super light, but that's because they're made out of really thin materials. They don't have, like, as, you know, durable webbing or stitching and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And we met some people that you know had backpacks blow out or seven or eight hundred miles hmm. out of you know twenty six hundred on the PCT, which is a huge bummer because you know you spend like three hundred plus dollars on this backpack and it doesn't even make it halfway on the trail that you're trying to do. So right. that was something that everybody hated, and so we were like, if we're gonna start this business, we don't want people to hate our stuff because it breaks. You know, no. if we're gonna be making this stuff for through hikers, then it should last at least one entire through hike. Right. So we're a little bit on the heavier side for some stuff but that's because we want to make sure that it actually lasts the whole time mm-hmm. so our fr- our fully framed backpacks run right around two pounds depending on the sizing and stuff like that but um we've had uh probably the ones that we know of at least 15 to 20 that have done full through hikes mm-hmm. so it's uh, like over 2,000 miles is kind of what we consider to be a full through hike mm-hmm. um, and then we have five that are around 3,000 miles and then we have one pack that is like one of our more original ones uh, the one of our friends that we met on on trail driver he has that 
Yeah, he's had it for probably like three years, and I think he's close to 4,800 miles on oh. that one. And there's been a few little repairs and things we've done to that bag, and then a few things that we've learned from that bag, too, that we've changed uh, the design on mm-hmm. the you know the new production bags. Uh, but overall, it's in pretty good shape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's just it's kind of surprising how well that one's actually done. So trying to, you know, when we say middle ground, try and keep it as light as possible, but also make sure people are getting the right bang for their buck because, you know, no one wants to spend 300 bucks on a backpack that breaks. Right. It's just horrible. So right. trying to keep it light, but make sure it lasts. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know how much of this you can talk about. The cool part to me, again, when I talked to Austin or when I came visit tour your guy's shop mm-hmm. is that you really combined your engineering background into this pack, right? Not only that you're passionate about the hiking, but you took the engineering side of it and with different stays and different mm-hmm. components or whatever else. Yeah. We felt like we should probably use our degrees a little bit. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So everything is, you know, we definitely think a lot about how seams are going together, even just, um, you know, the geometry of some of the, the the fabric parts that hold things together like the gussets that hold the shoulder straps on there mm-hmm. um down to you know the patterns of stitching that we use or and how we order things when we stitch them just to make sure that it's as strong as possible without you know having too many redundant systems there are some redundant stitches and things in there which are good but right. uh, like you said it's a lot about just kind of understanding, you know, how things are going to be used and looking at things from a fatigue life basis, you know, things that are, you know, bending or twisting and stuff like that or rubbing on other things. Mm-hmm. And then just a general, uh, you know, force diagram sort of load basis. So that's one of the bigger things that we kind of developed was how to have a really good frame system that transfers all the weight down to your hips. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of backpacks, you know, even with the frame, you still end up with some weight on your shoulders, which is okay, but, you know, it does get tiring after a while, especially for these through hikers that are doing it for months on end. Mm-hmm. So the the way that we end up designing the frame is, you know, all of the force ends up going into these carbon fiber aero shafts, which is what we use for the mainstays. Um, and that's all attached with these 3D printed brackets that we designed. So mm-hmm. those all, uh, it's basically like a piece of webbing and a ladder lock, just like the strap on your shoulder strap that cinches it down to uh, the backpack. Um, but then uh, with this latest design, the load collectors, which are the ones that go from the top of your shoulder back up to the top of the bag, instead of um, having them just end in a seam like they used to on our previous pack, so like it would kind of go from your shoulder to the ladder lock into the seam of the roll collar, down some fabric to try and get to the the frame itself. So mm-hmm. it's like you know four or five different points where the load has to transfer from the webbing to the stitching to this piece of fabric to the next piece of to the next stitching to the next piece of webbing. Mm-hmm. So there's all these different things that could technically go wrong or stretch or do all this weird stuff trying to get all that force down your hips. But now the way that we make them, the webbing actually goes straight through that seam and directly ties into the frame bracket itself. Mm-hmm. So all that force from your shoulders and all that stuff that would be load bearing gets pulled right up off the top of your shoulder. If you cinch it down, like I can st- uh, put my hand underneath my shoulder strap and fit it between my shoulder and the strap itself. Mm-hmm. So there's like no weight at all on my shoulders, which I like. Um, and then all of that load ends up going straight down to your hip belt, to your hip belt. Sorry. <laughs> um, and even with that, uh, a lot of other backpacks and stuff like that will sew the hip belt to one piece of fabric and then they'll sew the frame attachments to a different piece of fabric and then those are tied together sometimes with the side seam or some other stitching connecting those panels uh, but the way we do it the the part that holds the the bottom part of the frame is sewn completely through all the panels all the way through the hip belt itself mm-hmm. so the hip belt is directly tied to the bracket itself sure 
So sure. a lot of stuff like that that's just like a kind of technical and a little dry, but mm-hmm. it's definitely stuff that we think about because, you know, we kind of have experience with that kind of thing, you know, going through as mechanical engineers. And we have a lot of background through other jobs and stuff like that about what should we be looking for long term through a fatigue, you know, sort of basis. And then just, you know, how all these forces work and how things should be getting transferred and looking at things like that. Mm-hmm. For sure. And a lot of this stuff you can only find out through experience, right? Like the, the benefits of a load lifter, for mm-hmm. example. For, for example, like in hunting, the, my first pack was just straight uh, shoulder pack. I mean, it had a hip belt, but all the weight was on my shoulders. Mm-hmm. And then I eventually realized, man, old lifters are unbelievable. So yeah. you got a pack <laughs> that works for that. And again, you, you you learn a lot of these things. But it seems like, yeah, like you said, like the... Uh, and you could educate me, but the typical pack within a hiking pack world isn't really that concerned with load lifters or stuff like that, right? Like it seems like it's just a, more of a shoulder bearing yeah i I mean it depends it depends on what you're going for um you know like a lot of the ospreys will have like a load collector on there Um, i haven't looked at them super close lately to see Mm. like kind of where all that ends up or if that just goes into the pack uh, or if it goes more directly to the frame now or anything Mm -hmm. like that but it kind of just depends on i think how much weight you're thinking you're going to carry and if you want to find a backpack that has that and is rated for it because a lot of people that are hiking now will hike with you know backpacks even without a hip belt at all just because they're going so ultra light you know these guys that are like sub 10 base weights mm-hmm. which i think is insane i, I can't get down there right. <laughs> right. but uh you know there's definitely ones out there that you can find it's just you know trying to find things that have that balance between the right features that do the right things that are also lightweight and then also going to last a long time so mm-hmm it's you know how much how much extra weight do you want to carry to carry an osprey like it's probably super comfortable and like you can probably carry a lot of weight on it but do you really need to carry all that weight do you really want to have two extra pounds just in your backpack it's a lot of user preference right right no and we'll we can dive back into that but i i want to get into again like why you what excited you about it why you got into it some of your fun stories or different things that you've been on do you remember at isle royal like what about it did you appreciate it um I think honestly, just be, uh, I don't know if the solace is the right word, but just the idea of just kind of being out there on that rock in the middle of the giant lake, you know, our freshwater ocean that we're lucky enough to live next to. Um, that was just something I thought was just amazing. (laughs) Um, and being out there in the woods and branch, you know, there's no real, you know, other than the people you see on the trail, there's no like, you know, human evidence of, you know, anything being around and just being able to see kind of nature in the raw and, you know, how it's meant to be seen and all that just kind of really felt, I think, um, inspiring to me and mm-hmm. it made me feel really, really close with nature and the, the earth and everything in general. So I think it's, you know, just mostly being able to see, you know, this sort of primordial area that's pretty much untouched for the most part, you know, compared mm-hmm. to a lot of, you know, even just, you know, areas around here and stuff, which are, you know, pretty remote, but, you know, obviously is a little bit closer to civilization and, you know, comes with all that kind of baggage. But, um, you know, being out there and seeing all the moose and, uh, you know, seeing all these little tiny lakes and stuff. And then probably one of the other coolest things is uh, there's pretty much zero light pollution out there. So uh, on one of the nights it was super clear and you could look up and see the stars and the Milky Way was just gorgeous. And there's probably more stars than I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. <laughs> and that was just amazing. Yeah. Uh, but the, the other part of it is like why the, you don't have to justify it to me because I'm, in, I'm on board, but why the hiking part of it? Cause you could do the same thing and just go stay in the spot. You know what I mean? Oh, that's true. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but so what about the hiking part of it? Do you like, I think, um, 
it's probably like twofold. I think part of it is, you know, trying to get out there even farther from wherever, you know, you first start. Cause you, mm-hmm. know, you know, like you said, driving to some place or taking the boat out there, that's already amazing. Like I've done plenty of trips like that where mm-hmm. it's just cool to, you know, get to that point and see different stuff like that. Um, but I think there's, you know, part of me and maybe something in all of us that's like, well, if we go a little bit farther into the woods, like, yeah. you know, maybe we'll go find something that somebody hasn't seen this little glade before. You know, one's been over here before and, and trying to find that. And I think part of the other, uh, the other part of it is just kind of the challenge of it. Like, mm-hmm. man, I wonder if I can hike 10 miles and climb this huge ridge. And you know, let's just see what's on the other side of the ridge just for fun and see if we can do it and see how it goes. <laughs> right. Right. There's a part of me that I wonder so I've never done a long through hike. I've not, I mean, honestly, a pretty limited backpacking experience and it's all been around hunting. Um, so I like uh, stay a couple nights somewhere. Right. Mm-hmm. But that the, still the whole part of it's unreal. And when I'm doing it, I'm thinking a lot about these kind of like the, yeah, like the, the backpacking experience in a way, just cause I'm mm-hmm. like thinking about that and thinking about the stars and the experience of spending the night on the ground instead of back in a busy place and watching TV or whatever. For right? Sure. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but there's a part of me that wonders that the part of you that craves the hike is 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 that satisfying because you're like accomplishing something even though it's almost meaningless it's not mm-hmm. meaningless right but i'm saying like in terms of like work done towards your life or something i don't know in a way it's n- not really getting you anywhere other than the physical distance i guess you know true yeah but, but it feels like you're working and it feels mm-hmm. like you accomp- accomplish something like is that part of it too oh i think 100 percent. yeah you know it's like one of the things about when you're out on like the the full trail and you know I want to go out and read and do the PCT. You know, I only got to do about 450 ish miles of it out mm-hmm. of the, the 2600. So I want to go out there and do the whole thing because yeah, that's a heck of an accomplishment to hike that whole thing and be out there for four months and go, you know, all those miles just with your own two feet. Right. That's seems so cool to me. And just like a, a feat of being a human that you can actually go do this thing. Yeah. Um, so I think that's definitely part of it. Just, you know, the, the accomplishment just to do something to see if you can do it is, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's like a, you know, kind of a human spirit thing that I think is in everybody to some degree. It's like, you know, maybe I can, maybe I can't, but I'm going to try it anyway and hope for the best. Uh, and you know, part of it too is, um, you know, it's like running or lifting weights or stuff like that. You know, it's, it's kind of a self betterment kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Like you kind of go out there and you do this thing that is technically meaningless, but you know, if you enjoy yourself while you're doing it and you get to go out there and see really cool stuff, you get to, you know, see parts of the country you've never been to before and, you know, meet a bunch of different people you never would have met. Um, so I think that's worth it in its own regard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Forrester Research interviewed 206 senior technology leaders in major organizations responsible for software development sourcing. 63% said their software development service partners do not have a full understanding of their end customer. If you're dead serious about moving faster and getting more done, Zeratech Software Development can help you move forward with confidence. Let the team at Zeratech Software Development help solve your problems with mobile, web, and backend solutions. As they align with their clients, they use a proven method to understand the scope of the problem and help demystify the steps to make it go away. They will deliver the software solution you need, and they do it with the integrity that you'd expect from a family-owned business in the heartland of America. Schedule a call with the team at Zeratech today at zeratech.com. That's X-E-R-A-T-E-C.com. Yeah. For sure. And, and it's certainly not meaningless. Right. But I'm For saying sure. you could argue that it's meaningless mm-hmm. or you could, you know, through a certain lens, I guess you'd say. Uh, but part, 
I definitely understand that that long distance component and like man you did it that's amazing that's a that's rewarding but also on a day-to-day basis like i'm picturing your typical saturday or typical sunday if i sit at home and sit on the couch and do nothing i feel like garbage at the end of it right yeah that's where i'm at uh whereas if you go out and do something again and picture on this day-to-day thing of going on a hike every day like that's what you're doing for the next four months every Mm -hmm. single day you felt like you accomplished something so you end the day on top of the fact that you're not connected to your cell phone you're not connected to the world you're not worried about deadlines or anything like that there's so Mm -hmm. many cool benefits there you're spending time outdoors which is hugely beneficial but there's also the element of every single day you you weren't sitting on the couch and feeling like garbage right Mm -hmm. it's like there's like the daily component of it for sure yeah and it's like yeah you know it's kind of like you said you know feeling accomplished just by doing something and Mm -hmm. you know you're doing something all day so you're you're physically being active and stuff and you're being you know stimulated by all the stuff you see around you and the people you meet Mm -hmm. so it definitely feels like you accomplish something at the end of the day and i think it helps too that it's it's kind of like this you know, simple beauty goal of like, well, I got to get up today and I got to walk North. That's, mm-hmm. that's what I got to do today. Right. And if that's all I do, that's fine because that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And there's just kind of like this, you know, really simplistic sort of lifestyle that just, you know, takes all your stress away and, you know, don't have to really worry about anything. You just got to worry about putting one foot in front of the other and stop for some food and find some water every once in a while. But it's just, super chill i don't know it's just like it's like this weird kind of calm that comes over everybody that's just like yeah we're just out here hiking and that's we just go as far as we want today and then plop down and then we'll do it again tomorrow yeah it's weird it's like uh i'm pumped about it and again i've done very little of it yeah any backpacking i've done borderline i take that back i did one night with my brother that wasn't a hunt otherwise it's all been hunting right Uh, i'm going doing this fall we were talking about with my wife which i'm super excited about um but it's still something i'm pumped about but like i guess i'm curious for you it seems like it's this obscure little thing right like not that many people are even into it or aware of it or whatever like when you're out meeting people and they talk hear about backpacking are you generally like how do people respond to that is it like what what is that or are they aware of it or is it Mm. what what kind of reactions do you get from like uh you know your your distant relative or yeah yeah so usually people think you're crazy to some degree (laughs) (laughs) so me you know it was a little bit easier because i only hiked for like you know a month and a half but then when you start explaining about how this is like you know it's starting to become a more and more popular thing, especially on the Appalachian trail and stuff that people are like, wow, you just hiking camp for like four months straight. And it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's, it's great. Right. <laughs> like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> and so, yeah, usually there's some degree of people thinking that you're just nuts or, you know, something along those lines. And, you know, usually pretty baffled by the time you start telling them like how many miles and stuff you're doing. And when, right. you know, me and Austin would usually do at least 20 miles a day. And you, a lot of times you tell people that and it's like, oh my gosh, how could you walk 20 20 miles in a day and then do it again the next day. It's right. like, you know, it just kind of happens. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. It's, it's always interesting trying to explain it to people that, uh, you know, don't have a, um, you know, much experience with the backpacking world in general or, you know, do, but don't know much about through hiking and how that's, you know, a little bit different than, you know, week long trips and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's probably the biggest thing that comes off. It's a little bit of, you know, being a little dumbfounded about how we're doing all this stuff and then the things that we take. And then, you know, you get into what you're eating on trail and all that kind of stuff too. And, you know, hiker trash food is like a whole different subject. <laughs> like you just right. eat whatever you can to get some calories and some protein. And it doesn't matter what it tastes like, really. <laughs> you just eat whatever you got. <laughs> right. 
Right. It's uh, it feels like you would get a mix of, of reactions at first. Like, Oh, that's cool. You go hiking. And they're like, Oh, you go hiking for three months. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and then, yeah, but also people just unaware of it. Also people think that you're crazy, but I just curious how much of the, uh, your day-to-day interactions, I guess, typically you go to work and people are aware of it there, but like, yeah. <laughs> how big of a section is this and, and and like how aware are people of this world uh it, I mean, it's growing it sounds like it's definitely growing uh you know year to year uh both the pct and the at have begun more and more populated mm-hmm. um but i still think it's it's relatively niche um i i guess i don't know off the top of my head how many people hike each summer mm-hmm. on either of the main trails um but from what we've seen just from the newsletters from like the pacific crest trail um association Mm -hmm. and then you know the appalachian trail alliance i think um you know it just seems like it's getting more and more popular because more and more people are starting to hear about it and i think especially um i don't know i have you know no data to back this up but i think like when the pandemic started a lot of people got into uh, backpacking and mm-hmm. hiking to some degree and then you know we're two to three years past that now so it's kind of like the natural progression for a lot of people is you kind of start in you know the day hiking kind of one or two night kind of trip kind of backpacking world and then you go to like sort of the week-long stuff and as you kind of transition to there you hear more about these longer trails and these longer excursions and you know maybe they do the the john muir trail next which is you know maybe like a month or something like that mm-hmm. um, and then as you slowly get more and more into it you start hearing more and more about all these other trails and then they start more and more people start getting the bug to actually go out and do the super long distance ones so mm-hmm. i think it's starting to grow maybe a little bit more because of that just because uh, when all that happened and everything shut down, more people were getting outside in general. So mm-hmm. they were getting that early exposure. And then once they got exposed to that kind of first layer of hiking and outdoors, then it just kind of opens up the door to all the rest of this stuff. And then once they start looking at all this, you know, there's so many, uh, you know, websites and different things going on now. Like REI has a whole bunch of different sections all about the PCT and the AT and like what you should expect and what you should bring. And, you know, the Trek is like another really good resource. And as soon as you start venturing onto those places, it just like opens up people's minds, I think, to the, the possibility that they can do it too. And mm. then they end up, you know, doing it and getting outside. Yeah. Yeah. The, the interesting part to me is since I've got introduced to this, I've lost, asked a lot of friends and family, like, Hey, would you do it? Even though oh, almost 99% of them never could. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. you could, I, you could easily argue that they could, they're just not making a priority, whatever, but sure, yeah, yeah. under their current framework or their current state of mind, they could not right or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you ask them, would you, if you, if, uh, you know, the obstacles were removed or something like that, or somehow you had the ability mm-hmm. and it, it, and it's almost an instant without a doubt or not yep. a chance. It doesn't seem like there's a middle ground. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of true. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's kind of been my experience too. It kind of depends. I think, you know, I think if they like kind of have any outdoor, uh, you know, itch in them at Mm -hmm. all, usually they fall more towards like, oh yeah, I'd I'd at least try it or like try and go out and do Mm -hmm. it. Uh, But then, yeah, there's a lot of people that if they aren't already sort of into that backpacking world, it's just like a hard no. (laughs) That seems like way too long, way too hard. Just, I'm not going to do that. But Yeah, yeah. It helps too if you know having like pictures and being able to show people some of the stuff you can see out there and some of the views that you just like yeah this is like what I woke up to this morning and it's like a picture from outside of my tent and it's like this huge desert valley with the sun coming up or something mm-hmm. like that and it's like people see those kinds of pictures and they're a lot more apt to want to try in the trail yeah right that's what I tell people there's a, a you maybe you've seen some of these but on YouTube I think it's called to measure a mile a PCT okay I don't know that one no. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I watched it again the other, like second or third time just a week ago. Okay. Um, 
unreal. Just like a lot of them are, right? But just, I don't know. You, I, I say, hey, you watch that. There's no way that you won't be closer to considering hiking the PCT when you're done with it. Mm-hmm. Right? I bet, yeah. Uh, just to kind of give you the visual, that kind of gives you like the 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 psychological behind it in a sense, right? Just through watching it and going through the process in an hour versus the guy's four months that it took to do it. But mm-hmm. um, it feels like to me, like you mentioned that, hey, if they're at all outdoorsy, they would consider it. But it almost feels like it's like more of a mental thing. Like if they're up for like the uh, mental exploration as well as the challenge in a sense, mm-hmm. like that seems like it's more the di- dictator of which for sure uh, which yeah. route you'd go. Yeah, and and you know I think you're you're kind of right. Like a lot of people talk about the trail, and the the first thought that people have is like you know the physical challenge of it. Like oh my gosh, I have to walk that far. I have to walk up this thing. Like right. can my legs do that? But a lot of it is mental as well. Mm-hmm. And you know you don't necessarily even have to be in the best shape to to hike on it. Uh, you know, there's no rule that says you have to go X amount of miles per day. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no rule that says you got to do it all in one year. Right. A lot of people will come out and do a section and then, you know, when winter comes, they'll get off and get a job for a while and then come back out the next year and do it. And, you know, we've seen people out there that are like, you know, 80, 85 and they're just, you know, taking their time doing this thing and, you know, they're not going fast, but they're out there doing it mm-hmm. because they, you know, just have it in their head that that's what they want to do. They want to experience it. And, uh, you know, one of the biggest things that people talk about on trail, which is probably the best advice is, you know, all these people out there will tell you what you should be doing and shouldn't be doing. And here's the gear you need. And here's, you know, how many miles a day you should average and all that stuff. But, um, you know, the biggest rule and the biggest thing that people tell each other is hike your own hike. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're out there for you to get the experience that you want. So don't let everybody else push you around too much and try and force you or pigeonhole you into what they say, you know, you should be doing. Mm -hmm. It's your hike. You should enjoy it. Do it your way. And I think that, you know, the mental part of it is, you know, a big part of that, you know, trying to figure out what you want to do, and just sticking to your own plan and, you know, obviously making sure that you, you know, find the right water spots and all that kind of stuff. That's a good thing to actually listen to people about, but, um, uh, yeah, just trying to figure that out for yourself and, uh, you know, have your own hike. Yeah. Yeah. But the part for me that, so that part totally makes sense. But the part for me that's super interesting is a lot of this podcast is about the psychology of the individual, right? Mm. Like what makes you get into hiking? Why do you enjoy it? What does it fulfill? All that kind of stuff. Right. But also thinking about that question of, would you consider it? And, and again, removing obstacles or however it looks, would you consider it? And there's almost an instant yes or instant no. Obviously some people are in the middle, right? But mm-hmm. whatever points that person in this direction or that direction, to me, it feels like there's this thing. And maybe it's because I'm putting my own framework on their response. But to me, it's like the person who says, yes, I would consider it. To me, it tells me that they're like willing to test themselves. And again, not even, that's not even like the right way I'm thinking about it. Like they're willing to go through the, they're more open psychologically. I don't know. I don't know the right way to look at it even. Yeah, uh, that that could very well be just like, you know, being open to the the opportunity or the idea of it too, you know, it's a big thing because, um, you know, a lot of people that like, you know, when they say no, they'll say, oh, I could never do that because X, Y, Z, yada, mm-hmm. yada, yada. Uh, but the people that are do that are usually more like, you know, it doesn't seem too unreasonable. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I think maybe I could do this. And it's not like they're saying, oh, yeah, I definitely can do this. It's mm-hmm. like, well, I definitely think I could try it. And it may go okay. It may not. But they're just open to giving it a shot. Uh, so I think maybe that's, you know, kind of the biggest thing, being open to trying and maybe failing versus, 
you know, just saying no because you already don't think you can do it and mm-hmm. not challenging yourself maybe. Right. I no, I could see that. And, and again, I think I put my own framework on it because I want to, like I appreciate it and I want to, and I, and I want to test myself and I want to know, I talked to Austin about this. Like, I want to know where do you get to on week one? Where do you get to on week two? Where do you mm-hmm. get to on week on, on day 30 when you hit this low point? Like, do you come out the other side mm-hmm. and, and what kind of uh, insight do you get? And I know that like, if you're going there to become a new person, you're probably going to fall short of that. Potentially, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, you can't expect the trail to fix everything. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> but at the same time, it can fix some things, right? Oh, like for you sure. can work yeah. through some things, whatever, but, mm-hmm. um, like to me, I appreciate all that. So when I hear someone say not a chance to me, there's like, I'm putting my own framework on it and, and saying like, well, how aren't you open to that? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it's like, it's also personality, right? Uh, yep. so it's not, it's not correct of me to put that framework on them, but I guess I'm trying to explore like, yeah, what is it? Cause, but again, it's gotta be different for different people. Some people it's gotta be straight physical challenge. What am I capable of mm-hmm. for me? I think it's, that's part of it, but like 20%, most of it for me is the mental, like, where do I go to? What do I get to? Uh, and I've talked about this on here before, but there's a guy who Steve Rinella talks about him, but it's super applicable here. I've talked about it three or four times, but this guy who I think the story was he canoed around the great lakes oh, or something, nice. right? Uh, I think I talked to Austin about this, maybe not, but, uh, anyways, he, I want to say he canoed around the great lakes and, and you know, that feeling of you go camping or you go hiking and on, on day one, you're all heta, you're mm-hmm. nervous, you're not nervous necessarily, but you're always like, what do I got to do? What I got to eat? Yeah, I make, like, whatever. Did I forget something like, you know, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And even through the process of the day, you're like, we got to do this. We got to do this. We got to do this. You don't relax. But by, by day seven, you're slowed down. You're relaxed. You're actually mm-hmm. taking a nap. You're reading a book. You're whatever. You've actually slowed down a little bit, right? Yep. That this guy that did that for six months, never found an end to that. Like he kept slowing down, kept slowing down, hmm. kept slowing down. By the end of the six months, he was like, there was no slow down to the slowdown, I guess you'd say. Yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, like that's what I'm so interested in. I've been so connected for so long, like all of us, right? Mm-hmm. I've been disconnected for more than 24 hours in four years. You know? Yeah, for but sure. I just, and again, obviously you have some connection there, but I just want that, that part of it is so intriguing to me. Mm-hmm. And that was like a really... You know, nice part of it too, just, you know, and a lot of it out there, like you don't really have a choice to be anything but disconnected because there's not any service out there or anything. Right. So, you know, I had my phone on me for, uh, you know, gut hooks, which is the map that everybody uses and all that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. yeah, it is, it is, uh, I don't know if, if freeing or relaxing or whatever you want to choose for the word, but as like all that other stuff kind of falls away and like, you don't have any of the social media stuff, you don't really get any news, like mm-hmm. any of that kind of stuff is just you and your friends in the woods. And I think without all that external stressors and all that kind of stuff, it seems to be kind of natural that everybody just chills out and, you know, goes on to Island time or trail time or whatever you want to call it. And mm-hmm. just totally relaxes out as you keep going and stay on the trail. Um, that's kind of the vibe I got as well as like, you know, a lot of people will go in, I mean, it's a little bit different on the trail because you're trying to get done before the snowstorms, you know, up in the the mountains in Washington. So there's a little bit of a time crunch for a lot of people, Mm -hmm. but then a lot of people that are out there, you know, especially that are just doing sections and stuff like that, you know, they'll be out there and they'll hike, you know, 20 miles one day and then they'll get to a cool place that they want to hang out with. Maybe they hike five miles the next day Mm -hmm. and you know, it's totally up to you what you want to do and how far you want to hike. And so as relaxed as you want to be. And, 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 you know, I think that's definitely part of it. Once you kind of get your headspace away from the hustle and bustle of, you know, everything else that's going on in the real world. And then you can kind of reset yourself back to what, 
you know, how, how fast do you actually want to move yourself and, mm-hmm. you know, how much effort and how much do you want to razz yourself up effort wise to, uh, to accomplish whatever you want to do. It's all up to you. There's no like, you know, external force that's pushing on you and saying, well, you got to get this done now so you can get onto the next thing and then, you know, finish that really fast so you can get onto the one after that. And you just got to do this one thing. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of freeing. I think that there's nothing pushing you to do any of that. It's just all on you and whatever you want it to be. Yeah. Yeah. Can, uh, I want to continue that thought, but in a second, can you give me, so you did the, and again, it's not about your accomplishments necessarily, but I'm just curious what you've been through. Mm-hmm. You hiked the desert portion, like 700 miles or so. On uh, the- about like 450. I ended up doing like four, 400 and some change on the Pacific Crest Trail. Yeah. And then right at the end of my trip, uh, I took a series of buses and hitchhikes up to Yosemite National Park. Mm-hmm. And then I spent like another five or six days in Yosemite National Park and did cool. about 50 or 60 miles in there. Okay. Something like that. Um, but since then, did you do any other through hikes of any sort that you... No, unfortunately, uh, yeah. me, I, and, uh, one of my other friends, Aaron, were supposed to go out and hike the PCT in 2020 in okay. that summer. And then COVID put a stop to that. So oh, it, that got all shut down. And then, uh, that was like probably like the last summer that the, the business wasn't like super busy and crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, since then it's just been nuts all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm trying to, you know, it'd be nice to get out there and do a really long distance hike again, but we kind of like lost our, uh, you know, lottery, the pandemic lottery or whatever to do that Mm -hmm. uh, during that summer but so it's on my list to go back out and do the pct i think i want to do the full pct that'll probably be the first through hike that i'll do next Mm -hmm. um but then after that maybe the cdt we'll see what happens but okay so you were going to do the whole thing that summer that 2020 or were you going to do a part of it you might do the whole thing yeah so we were gonna you know fly down and to san diego i think our start date was may 1st so we were going to start on may 1st and then start hiking north and you know whenever it was in march whenever you know it all started coming out and uh you know everything's getting shut down everybody's super worried about it and then uh, the pcta basically put out a notice that said you know please we know we issued permits and stuff already but uh please be respectful of all these tiny towns and stuff like that and please don't come hike right uh, because you know it's basically just this huge you know line of hikers that are moving from town to town probably very well could carry COVID from town to town. And there's so many small places out there that don't have their own hospitals and are, you know, two to three hours maybe away from a hospital that, you know, if they had some COVID infection come through their town, it might just wipe everybody out. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so we decided to just not go and hike and we stayed home. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh man, you got to go. I mean, you're going to go back. At some point I am going to go back. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to do it at some point. It's just finding when I can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Get your business to the point where like it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like we, one of me and Austin's goals is just trying to move ourselves out of the production and management kind of stuff and, Mm -hmm. you know, get back more into, you know, prototyping and product development. So then that way it's a little bit easier for us to leave for months at a time instead of having to, you know, kind of be there and coordinate who's working on what and all this kind of stuff. So eventually Mm -hmm. that's where we'd like it to be to get to the, to the point where we can go do that and go hide for the whole summer yeah no i mean you get to the point where some of these backpack companies that i follow in the hunting world the mm-hmm. the presidents the ceos they just hunt year-round yeah right? that's and the that's dream. their marketing <laughs> yeah. that's, uh, that is what drives business right uh 
so for you guys, you can set up the infrastructure below it and then you go out and just, that's your life, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And that's what's going to sell packs. That's what's going to sell everything. That it, yeah. Yep. And that was like, you know, part of like starting this company and it's like, oh, we'll just start a hiking backpacking company and then we'll go do a hiking backpack all the time. Yeah. And that is uh, not exactly how that goes. <laughs> There's a lot of work that's in between, yeah. you know, starting out and getting to that point, but we're, we're on track. We're, we're getting there. So there's mm -hmm. a lot of, a lot of steps that we got to figure out yet, but that is definitely one of the ultimate goals is to try and get this going so that we can go and leave <laughs> yeah it's a weird balance though right because you can put in a ton of time and effort now and it'll pay off later and for the next 30 years you can go hike all summer every summer right mm -hmm. um or all winter really right sure, uh, wherever yeah. you want to go down to, down south but um you still got to put in that time up front but then you could argue like no you need to go right now like now is the time but it's like ah, yeah it, it's tough too yeah you know because it's you know one way or the other they're both right you know yeah it's like you never quite know what the trail will be like next year the year after that like this year is probably going to be a great year to hike the pacific crash trail mm -hmm. just because of all the snowpack they've been getting they've been getting tons of snow in the sierras uh so the desert is probably going to be full of flowers there's probably gonna be you know mm. i don't know if it'll be a super bloom but it'll be beautiful out there there'll be tons of water that'll be great you know the only thing that might uh, get people hung up is waiting for the snow to clear in the Sierras. Yeah. But uh, in my experience, at least there was a couple times when the desert creeks were running a little dry and, you know, not having enough water is definitely a bummer. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, this year would have been great, but you know, we got to work on the business right now and then hopefully, you know, we'll get a bunch of snow at some point in the future and try and do it again. Yeah. What's the, I, I still want to get back to the mental side and where you got to on your hike, but what's the, uh, the pinnacle for like North America through hikes? Is it the CDT, the continental divide, or is it a PCT or is it AT? What uh, is it? so I guess it is sort of a cop out answer, but like the pinnacle is like triple crown is what they call okay. it, where you through hike the Appalachian trail, the Pacific crest trail and the continental divide trail. And some people will do a calendar year, triple crown, which is they hike all three of those trails in the same year. Right. So that's like a bit much for me, I, I'd say, but maybe that's like, you know, kind of the top tier goal of, you know, the really, really serious through hikers that are mm -hmm. out there to, you know, looking to set, you know, the fastest known times, the FKTs or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, so I only met a couple people that were doing it that year, but um, I don't know if that would be like the pinnacle for me. Um, I think, you know, to me, I would say it would be either the Pacific Crest Trail or the Continental Divide Trail just because, you know, you get to see all these different sorts of like, you know, biomes and different areas of the country. Like on the Pacific Crest Trail, you get to see all the desert and then you get up into, the, you know, the Sierras and you see all these mountains and then you get up into Oregon, Washington, and you see all these giant trees and these huge woodland forests and stuff like that. And um, the CDT kind of similar, you walk through uh, kind of the kind of high Mesa desert down in the South. And then you end up through, um, you know, the prairie land, go through Colorado and all that. And when you see some mountains and you know, all the way up through in, into Montana with more mountains and stuff. So I think those are probably, you know, what I would consider the pinnacle not to, you know, talk down on the Appalachian trail or anything like that. Cause I've also heard really good things about the Appalachian trail. Mm -hmm. Um, but to me, as far as, um, you know, getting farther out into the, you know, sort of raw, United States country kind of stuff and trying to get more remote and removed from everybody. Um, you know, the Pacific Crest Trail is much more remote than the Appalachian Trail. There's a lot more towns and stuff on the Appalachian Trail. Mm -hmm. And the CDT is the most remote out of all of them. Mm -hmm. Like there's, it's very, very self-supported. There's much longer stretches without, um, you know, running into a town or a post office or anything like that or stores. Um, 
So I, most people would say that that's the most difficult trail, and just from that kind of perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so probably would be the CDT, I guess, if to wrap around back to your question. <laughs> okay. No, I can appreciate that. And I wonder too, like you grew up downstate, mm-hmm. right? Uh, is there a thing too where like we're from the Midwest to go hike the Appalachian Trail almost feels like you're hiking in your backyard, which is cool, but it's not as uh, different or, or new mm-hmm. compared to like a Western. For sure. Thing, yeah. Right? I, I have heard that as well from, from people uh, because uh, you know, one of the things that they talk about with the Appalachian trail is you're hiking through the green tunnel right. the whole time, which is basically, you know, the trails cut through all these big deciduous trees, which is super cool, but you know, you don't really get to see a whole lot of the landscape and stuff like that. You're just mm-hmm. kind of in the woods the whole time. And how much difference does this wood look like from a hundred miles from here, these woods, mm-hmm. um, you know, again, not to talk down on it because they're, you know, I got no problem walking through the woods and all that stuff, but, um, you know, it's, it's definitely different. And I think, uh, you know, the, there's way better, you know, viewing landscape and stuff like that. And in, um, like kind of like what I said before, like different biomes and stuff like that, just different, uh, you know, areas that are nothing like what we have yeah, around here in Michigan. Like the desert was like an alien world. It was so wild. <laughs> it, was, it was like being on a different planet. It was right. so interesting. And, you know, uh, just being down somewhere with just like all those weird scrub trees and cactuses and stuff like that. And, you know, it's just not something that I've ever really had anything experience with, you know, growing up in Michigan. Uh, so just it being so very different from what I was used to was super cool. And seeing all the different animals and stuff like that, like you, you know, every time you take a couple steps there's like lizards everywhere and it's yeah. like we don't really have any there's a couple but we don't have many lizards in michigan right. <laughs> so it was really cool seeing all that kind of stuff yeah what about uh so the experience itself you went hike 400 450 miles of the pct with austin mm. uh what was that like and i guess at some point i want you to talk about if you don't mind again the mental side of it meaning like did you slow down all that mm. kind of stuff but yeah what was that all like it was something else. <laughs> yeah. uh, so it was a little wonky because uh, Austin actually left before uh, like graduation ceremony and all that stuff. So he his, he started on May 1st, I think, that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I was going to walk for graduation. So I think I ended up flying down there on May 5th or 6th or something like that. Okay. Uh, and then I actually flew down with two other friends of ours that were going to hike for some amount of time before they had to go uh, off to whatever they were doing. Um, so we flew down there and we didn't start at the very beginning of the trail. So mm-hmm. we flew into Palm Springs and then went over to, oh gosh, what's the name of the town? Uh, I forget Cabazon, I think. Okay. Um, and so that's where we started the trail. And so we were actually ahead of Austin at that point. So we were kind of trying to get our bearings and, you know, we're just kind of hiking on the trail at our own pace, mm-hmm. uh, waiting for Austin to catch up. And then Austin eventually caught up to us at, uh, Big Bear in California. Okay. Um, and so then we all hiked together for a while, which was great. Um, you know, aside from almost stepping on a rattlesnake, like the first day we were there, <laughs> that right. was a little too exciting. <laughs> but, uh, so we hiked the, the four of us we were hiking and then, you know, kind of picked up a few other people, um, just as like a loose trail family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so then for a while, um, it was all four of us. And then we ended up splitting for a little bit and it was me and Austin and then Spencer and Ethan were hiking together and then, uh, just depending on how it all worked out, we'd run into each other like at the next town or something like that, or they'd loop back or take a bus up or do something like that and catch up to us. 
Um, but I think uh, it was more of a, a ramp up for me after, you know, coming in, you know, without any real base hiking mileage uh, right. when I started, you know, when I met up with Austin, like, you know, I think our first day we did, you know, maybe 12 or 15 miles and then maybe another 15 or so mm-hmm. uh, the next day. But then by the time Austin got here, you know, we're starting to get our legs under us and uh, starting to go a little faster. And so then that's when we started trying to hit, you know, like 20 miles a day just to try and keep on pace to, you know, try and finish it before all the snow comes because generally the rule is you don't want to be up in the Cascades in October because Mm -hmm. it can, you know, flip just like that from beautiful blue sunny day to like torrential snowstorm. (laughs) So it can happen really fast. So we're, we're trying to keep our pace up uh, to get, you know, Austin wanted to finish the whole thing. So we're trying to keep our pace up and doing that. Uh, but definitely after I left Austin and uh, was hiking my on my own for a little bit, and, like, when I got to Yosemite, I slowed way down. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was super easy for me to hit 20 miles a day, you know, just because we'd been doing it for, like, a month. So, right. you know, it, you kind of – once you've been doing it for that long and you're hitting that mileage, it doesn't really seem like a task anymore. You mm-hmm. just It just seems normal and your pace is just what it is. So right. uh, it, it definitely didn't f- ever feel like I was rushing, you know, other than a couple days uh, that I can get into. But uh, it definitely felt like I slowed down more afterward because I didn't really have to be anywhere, you know, because I didn't have, I wasn't going to finish the trail. I just had to, how far do I want to hike in Yosemite? How far do I want to do on this day excursion thing while I'm out here in California? So once I got to that point, then I definitely slowed down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as you were looking or as you were talking there, I was following along on the map a little bit where you were going and checking it out but you said sure. that the uh you never really pushed other than a few moments which i can get into it i sense there's a pretty long story <laughs> behind <laughs> yeah so this is one time uh austin and i i forget where we woke up that morning but this is the, the biggest day that i did with austin was we did 28 miles this day um so we basically wake up and um the next town up on the trail is Cahoon Junction or Cajun Junction, something like that, or Cahoon Pass, I forget. Um, but that town is like 22 miles away, and there's a McDonald's like mm. right on the road, right off the trail. And we're like, all right, like a couple more miles, like we can definitely hit McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> so we started hiking, and we're you know tearing off, you know, hiking because we want to make sure we get to McDonald's before it closes. <laughs> so we're tearing through the trail and. Uh, there's this weird spot where you're hiking along these kind of like really tall ridge lines. Okay. And it's, I don't know. It's like another weird thing that I've never really seen before, but just, it was like this weird series of ridges all kind of parallel to each other. Um, and then, you know, the top of the ridge that we're hiking on is probably only, you know, three or four feet wide. Uh, but then it goes down like, you know, 150 feet, like down to the bottom of these things. And it's Hmm. like really steep. Like, you know, you probably wouldn't die if you fell off them, but it would be really hard to get out. It Hmm. would really hurt, (laughs) but we're, uh, you know, hiking like crazy trying to, you know, make it to McDonald's and we keep running into these passes and it's all super windy in the desert of California. But, uh, these spots were like super, super windy. (laughs) So we're like, you know, trying to hike across these little ledges and the wind is kicking up and I don't know how fast it was, but you know, just from general experience, it was probably gusting like up to like 40 or 50 miles an hour on top of like the 20 or 25 just sustained winds. Mm -hmm. So 
we're basically doing the ice climbers routine where he's going out first and trying to get across this, you know, little tiny ridge. And when the wind kicks up, he's like hunkering down. We're like squatting down. Like, <laughs> All right. Hopefully the wind stops for a little bit. So then he would, you know, go to the end and then he'd turn around and he'd watch me come across the ridge. And so we're basically going one at a time, just kind of leapfrogging each other, trying to get through this whole thing. So that took a much, much longer than what it should have taken just because we were so sketched out by all this wind. Uh, and so then after that, after we got through there, then we were really putting on the gas. Cause at this point, I don't know, I think it was like a couple hours before McDonald's closed and we were like so close that we were like, all right, we have got to make this. Yeah. We've been hiking for so long. We've got to make it to McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> and we did, we ended up making it like, I think like a half hour before they closed or something. And we ordered a whole bunch of food, which was great. So we were like really rushing to get there. And then the, the bummer part about that is, you know, we got to the McDonald's and then the whole area was surrounded by like a railroad junction. Hmm. So then we had to hike like another four miles outside wow. of town to get to a spot that we could camp. <laughs> so we ended up hiking all this extra stuff even after we got there. But man, I was so gassed that day. We were booking it. <laughs> yeah. So that was probably like the fastest and most I think I've ever hiked. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Uh, what about... Well, first of all, how good was that McDonald's? Oh, it tasted amazing. <laughs> it tasted like victory. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but what about, too, I picture there's this thing, and I, I don't know if it would happen at this age, but, like, I'm picturing I'm 13, spend two weeks with a friend, say, okay? I don't know if you ever if you're anything like that, and at first, you're like, this is unreal, but by the end of it, you can get into fights or get oh, frustrated sure, or, yeah. or whatever. That's seems like that could be a component of the trail. Like, if you're going to hike with a friend, there's absolutely going to be some points where you're, like, just angry at each other just due to whatever right yeah does yeah. that happen or have you seen that or i don't if it did i don't want to bring up old wounds i'm just curious if that's like a component yeah no i mean it definitely happens and it all just like depends too about how much it to me in my experience what it comes down to is like how much are you hiking your own hike and how oh, much are sure. you hiking it with this person so i i always try and tell people that are considering the trail and stuff like that if they're planning on hiking with friends and stuff like that definitely go out and start hiking with your friends right. but you should you know talk to each other and be like hey we may break up and hike at different you know mm. paces mm-hmm. and want to do different things and stuff like that because again it all comes back to hiking your own hike and you're out there for yourself you know if if your purpose is to do it with this other person then that's cool that's great uh but you know then you got to communicate with that person you know how far you want to go and all that stuff um, but if you're just out there, you know, more for yourself individually, and this person is also here, like, you know, don't get too bent out of shape if you guys want to end up doing different stuff because you're trying to get different things out of the hike. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've seen trail families break up over like really dumb stuff yeah. <laughs> and just like kind of pointless things just right. because they, you know, sometimes there's like a weird obligation that you feel like you need to stick together Mm. in these things, uh, which to some degree is good because it's good to stick together when you're really out in these super remote places. But, um, you know, when it gets to the point where you're getting on everybody's nerves and stuff like that, and especially when it's just like random people that Mm. you meet out there, it's like, there's no reason to really, you have to stay (laughs) like Mm. you can go do whatever you want. So there's definitely times that, uh, you know, that, that happens and you rub each other the wrong way, but, I think a lot of it too is because you're so self-supported. Um, most of your problems are things that you've done to yourself. Sure, <laughs> so like, sure. you know, if I didn't bring enough food, then I didn't bring enough food and there's yeah. no one I can blame for that. Like, you know, it's so much 
a personal responsibility to be out there. You're carrying all your own gear, you know, your own water, your own food, and you're kind of on your own time. There's like not a whole lot you can really get mad at somebody else about other than like pacing and where you want to stop. And, you know, if they ate more than their half of the pizza when you got into town and, you know, that kind of thing. That makes sense. So I was picturing going with going with a friend and assuming it would go fine, but absolutely there's times where like, no, I want to stay here for the day. And the friend's Mm -hmm. like, no, I want to go, you know? Yep. Uh, so that makes sense of like, go into it. To me, that would be the way go into it and be okay with the fact that you may split up. You may meet back up, whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, yeah, that's the other cool thing about the trail is you never know how you're going to meet back up with people. Cause right. you know, they you know, your buddy might want to take a zero day this day and you might want to hike on. And then you may take, you know, two short days after that. And he took two really long days and now he's caught back up with you. You just like, you never quite know how it's all going to shake out. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that too is, you know, just cause you're hiking, with all these people like you know when we were out there hiking i still was you know maybe within you know half a mile of austin the whole time but i probably only saw him you know when we woke up in the morning you know we'd get together for lunch and then we'd stop in the same spot at night and it's really about as much as i saw him a lot of days so Mm -hmm. you know you're kind of out there with people but because the trail is so vast and expansive you know, you're technically with a group of people, but you may not see anybody all day. So mm-hmm. I think that kind of alleviates a lot of the friction and stuff too, because you're not constantly with each other the whole time. Sure. And you're not like hiking right behind somebody like you are like on a lot of like week long trips and stuff like that, where it's just like a line of people mm-hmm. all right on top of each other. There's so much room to spread out. Like there's no reason to not give each other some space and then you can kind of do whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that makes sense too. And I'm thinking again, when you're 13, you get frustrated with your friend. That's because you've been playing together all day, every day for two weeks and you just need some space. For sure. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, But what about the mental side? Did you notice yourself slow down? Did you notice a change in your, your demeanor, your attitude, your, your internal peace, your whatever? Yeah. I think I definitely chilled out when I was on trail (laughs) for sure. Yeah. Especially, you know, cause I was coming off of you know, just graduating college, like trying to get my, you know, first real job and, you know, interviewing and doing all this kind of crazy stuff and, you know, trying to get my, you know, real big boy life together now that I'm like really out on my own, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's a lot to do. And, you know, it's kind of like, you know, the, you know, the kind of the graduation goggles that they call it, you know, you look back and everything looks amazing, you know, all these rose colored glasses and you, you really, you know, are sad about leaving school and, you know, there's a bunch of friends and stuff you're not going to see for a while. And that's all super tough. So I think coming out of college, I was kind of stressed out about a lot of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, uh, I don't know, maybe within five days or so on trail, I wasn't thinking about any of that. (laughs) I was just thinking about hiking and eating and seeing cool stuff and meeting cool people. And I just had such an amazing time out there. Like it's probably the least stressed I've ever been in my entire life. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was amazing. What about the randomness of it? That to me is exciting. Like the, the randomness of the people that you meet, the stories that you hear, (laughs) all that kind of thing. Yeah. There's all sorts of like, just that you said, random crazy stuff that happens on trail. Uh, you know, there's a couple things that come to mind. One time Austin and I were hiking and, uh, we had to jump onto a road for a little bit and walk down the road because the trail was closed for some reason. Mm. And we're, you know, walking along and then this big van comes by on the highway and just passes us. And he was going like super fast and we're like, all right, cool, whatever. And then, you know, we hear somebody stop really hard and turn around and he comes by us again and he like kind of stops and he rolls down the window and he's like, you guys PCT, hike PCT hikers? And mm-hmm. we're like, yeah, cool. Yeah, we're, we're hiking the PCT. It's like, you guys want some cheese? <laughs> 
And we're like, no? He's like, all right, cool. And then he whips a Yui like, on the road right next to us and goes back the way he was going. And it's like, he just made this huge U-turn to offer us some random people cheese. Like, yep. I have no idea what this is about. <laughs> but yeah, it's really random stuff. <laughs> why, why did you take the cheese? <laughs> I don't know. We were a little surprised. <laughs> I mean, honestly, we probably should have, but... <laughs> It was just like so random. And we're like, you know, after after he left, we stood there looking at each other like, is that what you heard? Like, yeah, like that was really strange. Like, what did that actually happen? Yeah. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. And then just like the, you know, the trail angels and stuff that you meet, the trail magic that's out there is great. Um, there's this guy's uh, trail name was Coppertone. Okay. And so he would drive uh, up the trail kind of with the bubble as it would go north. Uh, and he had like a converted RV that he had all, or it was a box truck he converted into an RV, I should say. Um, and so he just drove up in, you know, wherever the road crossed the trail, essentially he would come by and he, you know, had a bunch of big umbrellas that he would set up and like a bunch of camping chairs for people to sit down. And, uh, his deal with that was that he'd make everybody root beer floats. Mm. So the first time we saw him, you're like walking on the trail and there's like a, you know, paper plate that just says like copper tone ahead. Uh-huh. And the first time you see that, you're like, they're giving out sunscreen <laughs> up there. Like, what is this? I, I don't know what this is. <laughs> and then you, uh, you get up there and there's this huge, you know, big, you know, converted thing and this super happy-go-lucky old dude out there and you get up there and he's like you guys want cream soda or root beer for your root beer floats and we're like who are you and thank you uh root beer i guess yeah and so yeah it plops you down in a chair and he's like oh no i'll make it for you and you like you know mixes it all up you know real ice cream and all that stuff and you just hang out there fruit and you know whatever else you can want and then you just say hi and bye and maybe i'll catch you next time and so yeah i ran into him twice which was awesome yeah. <laughs> so it's hard to beat you know a cold root beer float in the middle of the desert honestly oh, yeah no kidding uh that's unreal just yeah. the whole thought of it everything about it just to me it just uh, yeah. so intriguing mm-hmm. yeah it's just wild the people you meet out there and you know just the, like you said the random stuff that happens and just you know sometimes weird stuff happens on trail and it's yeah. just it's just trail <laughs> right but so uh, even exploring further the the mental or the psychological side of it did you were you surprised by anything did you continue to slow down after day five or did it feel like day five to day 30 was pretty much the same i think like um I think it it felt in my head easier to me as it as we kept going and okay. as we were you know progressing you know through that whole month, mm-hmm. um, even though we were probably doing um, you know either longer days or hitting our mileage faster. Like mm-hmm. I think just because I was getting my legs under me and um, you know getting more of a feel for the trail lifestyle and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so I think it 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 felt slower to me, but I don't know if it actually was physically slower, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense until, you know, I got off trail and went to Yosemite and I hung out in, uh, mammoth lakes for a little while too. Cause I think that's where I flew out of, um, in those days, you know, when I didn't really have to go anywhere, those were super chill. Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of those days in mammoth lakes, I would like go to the corner store pick up some beer and then walk to the lake and just fish all day (laughs) and just chill out and, you know, walk around the lake and fish. And that was all I did all day. So that was super slow, super relaxed, which was great. And, uh, yeah. So I guess it depends on kind of your perspective, I guess. Mm -hmm. But for the mental side, it definitely felt like I was slowing down. Yeah. But it feels like it can set you up with like a relaxed mindset that you can carry with you then moving forward for a while, but then Mm -hmm. you got to go hit reset eventually. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right. So that was probably one of the not so great things that I did is, uh, you know, when people say like, you know, you go out and do the trail and this trail is like oh, this huge change to your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And so it takes a little bit, a little while to get into the trail and kind of figure out how that works and how that works for you. And then, you know, you're on the trail for a while and you're in the groove of it. And then when you get off trail, a lot of people will say, you know, take some time to, you know, go home and go visit some friends and stuff like that, you know, crash on some couches a little bit and like kind of slowly acclimate yourself, you know, back into the real world. Mm -hmm. And so I think I flew home on a Wednesday. And so I flew to my hometown uh, just in Saginaw, just outside Saginaw, um, stayed at my house for like a couple days. And then I drove from my house to Milwaukee to uh, move into an apartment that I had never been to before. And then on that Monday, I started my job at a mm-hmm. place I'd never worked before. Right. <laughs> so I had a very hard cut from trail to the real world, and it was tough. I yeah. don't recommend it. Uh, if I would have been on trail for like three months and done that, I don't know what would have happened. It was a hard enough adjustment just, you know, from being out there a month, you know, to going back into this this real job and, you know, this new place and all that stuff. So yeah. it, it, it definitely takes some adjustment. <laughs> yeah, which speaks, though, to the fact that it, you, you are changing. Oh, there. for sure. Yeah. Uh, the fact that it's hard to adjust back to me is a, is a testament to that. But do you think that you're then your next year or two of working, were you in a different mental place than you would have been had you not done that hike? Or does it feel like you're just right back into it? Um, I think I tried to hold on to, you know, that as much as I could. Uh-huh. Um, you know, especially like on, you know, the weekends and stuff like that, trying to go out and do stuff and try and get like, you know, the last little glimmer of, you know, the hiking, you know, sort of feeling that I had. Um, but part of the issue is that the project that I was on was kind of a giant mess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there was a lot of people, you know, running around with their heads cut off and I kind of got swept up into that. So sure. I definitely didn't keep the relaxed mindset <laughs> as much as I would have liked to just because work was crazy. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So yeah, I, I definitely tried to hold on to it, but I don't think I did a very good job. Yeah. No, part of it for me is, uh, I don't know. I, I've talked about it someone here. I'm working through some health stuff where stress is a component of it. Mm. Uh, and trying to figure out what does that even mean? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like it's kind of like autoimmune type stuff, which we can get into. It's uh, some rheumatoid arthritis in a sense, whatever. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm hesitating because I'm like not trying to make it a pity party. I'm just trying to talk about sure, that yeah, versus yeah. stress or whatever. Mm-hmm. So the, that component of it. Like, I don't even know what stress means. If you would have asked me a year ago, I would have said I'm not stressed at all. Yeah. Um, but maybe I think it's true that when you're stressed, you don't know that you're stressed potentially that could be the case Mm -hmm. anyways. So I guess what I'm trying to tie all that into is like the hiking, where does that get you? Is that part of it? And also just thinking about life and work balance and all this kind of stuff. Right. But yeah, um, I don't know. Really I have an answer for any of that, but no, I mean, I think you're kind of right though. I mean, once you, once, you know, stressed out is your natural state, then being stressed doesn't feel stressed. Mm-hmm. It just feels normal, which right. shouldn't be normal. And a lot of time you don't realize how stressed you are until you're not stressed at some point, yeah. which is something that I've struggled a lot with, you know, just with the business and everything going on and you know, all the craziness and the other things that are going on in my life. Like, mm-hmm. you know, just feeling like you're wound so tight all the time 
that just becomes the normal thing. It's like, well, I feel fine, even though I'm super anxious and, you know, feel like everything's coming apart at the seams, but that's just how I feel all the time. So that must be yeah. normal. Right? <laughs> right. Until you get to a point where you can go out and like not have to deal with any of that stuff for a little while. And you have, you know, at least three days is kind of what I found. Like they, if you can get three days where you don't have to deal with any of that stuff and you can just, you know, whether that's going out in the woods and doing something or you just go home and, you know, visit your family for a little while or anything like that. Um, then you start to actually relax. And you're like, wow, this is actually kind of nice. Maybe mm-hmm. I should try and be like this all the time. <laughs> right. right. It is a testament to, there's so many different angles of it, but like nowadays I'm in real estate, right? And, and you have a, a world where you can be expected to respond very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get an email, you got this fire, you got to put out whatever. Mm-hmm. It, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, like there was this built in delay to everything. Right? Yeah. Now there's not. It's mm-hmm. like, no, you've seen the email at 7.30 p.m. Right. You should be emailing back at 7.35 p.m., right? Yep. Not saying that's the case, and, and maybe people have to put that on themselves. But either way, it's to me, it's clearly different than 1972. You know, when you get this fax, you're like, oh, <laughs> for mean, sure. I, it wasn't there. You know, I'll yeah. get to it Monday or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. it just, we're so connected and so wound up. Maybe not everybody, but I think I think more people than would yeah, care to admit. I, I think we're definitely a little overconnected in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like, you know, stuff like that where, um, you know, especially, you know, emails and, you know, jumping on meeting calls and stuff like that. Like, I, I think that's totally messed up. Like, I never answered my phone ever. Right. You know, when I was working, you know, down Milwaukee past, like, when I got home from work, I threw my work phone in my bedroom and I just didn't even look at it mm-hmm. because I wasn't going to do that. And I think there's too much of an expectation now that you have to be turned on all the time, right. which, it, you know, it sucks. Like, how else are you supposed to go do anything else? Like, right. you know, you should be working to live and not living to work. For sure. Uh, so, you know, I think you're right. Having all this inner connectivity is cool in a lot of ways but you know like everything else you know it can be abused a little bit so mm-hmm. you know having to be on call and turned on all the time has got to be a bummer a lot of the time because <laughs> mm-hmm. you know you know how can you let your brain wander off and do other things and you know you know go do things you actually enjoy or spend time with your family and all that stuff if you're constantly worried about having to respond to emails or phone calls and all that kind of stuff so right. I, th- I think you're on the right track with it's a little too connected <laughs> and sure. like you said you know back in the 70s or whatever when everything was you know mostly analog and you got it in the mail or you got a fax or you know there's a landline phone at the office and if you're not at the office and you can't answer the phone like that seems like a way better separation right. <laughs> to me i think it's a little too overcrowded nowadays right <laughs> Right. Well, the crazy part too is what, like, it's one thing as a real estate agent, like to me, it comes with a territory potentially, or as a business owner, even though I think you should set boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, you should, you should have some clear boundaries. Otherwise you won't last. You'll burn yourself out, whatever. Right. But as an employee, it's crazy. Like when a company expects an employee to answer an email at eight o'clock at night, mm-hmm. to me, that's bizarre. Yeah. No, I think that's a load of crap. Right. <laughs> I would never tell my employees to do that. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> and I don't know, maybe that's not even a, typical, but I think it's pretty common. It like you get this common at the job manager. that I had. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And again, unless it's built into your structure, like if that's mm-hmm. in the job description or whatever, sure. We yeah. Agree to that, but for sure. And that's yeah. like a whole other conversation too. It's like, you know, <clears throat> salaried employees that are, you know, cause I was on salary and it was kind of expected that like, yeah, you're probably going to work, you know, 50, 55 hours a week. Most mm-hmm. of the time, sometimes it may be like 60 hours a week, but you know, they don't pay you any overtime for that. Right. Uh, you know, you're just expected to be there all the time whenever they call you, mm-hmm. which is, you know, to me, I think is unfair, you know? Right. So I think, you know, it's trying to figure out 
like you said, that balance in trying to get that back right in trying to make it fair for the employees because, you know, they're kind of at the will of whatever their job is because they need a paycheck. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that's easy to abuse sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it seems like on average and way more than average, the salaried employees get in the short end of the stick. Do you think that's true? That's kind of, you know, I've only had, you know, one, you know, real job through one company. So I, I can't say too much for me from a personal side, but at the other internships and things and stuff that I've had and talking to some of my other friends that are on salary, most of them feel taken advantage of to some yeah. degree. And most of them I think would rather work um, some sort of hourly and then get the overtime over 40 for sure. Because you know, a lot of these places and, and it seems to be especially common with engineering companies and stuff like that, that it's just sort of expected. You'll probably do at least 10 overtime hours a week. Mm-hmm. But you know, when you start breaking it down the hourly wage on that, it's not really representative. Like, you know, you're getting paid 65 grand a year or whatever. If you base that on, 40 hours a week that's pretty reasonable but if you start basing that on 50 hours a week then you know how much money are you actually making per hour mm-hmm. and is that you know really worth your skill and the amount of work that you're doing like probably not because they right. try and build all that hourage into you but they don't actually pay you for it so it's like a lot of companies will you know you know set out a project schedule and sort of expect that you're going to work these extra overtime hours so they're expecting you to do it but they don't want to pay you for those overtime Mm -hmm. which is you know trying to have it both ways which i don't really agree with yeah (laughs) right right and i'm a firm believer i've worked commission for eight years like i'm a firm believer in incentive structures sure yeah right and if you have the incentive for the employer to not have you work overtime which is the case for an hourly employee like as soon as you're working overtime i'm paying you one and a half times what i'm typically paying you Mm -hmm. so the incentive the employer is to not have them work overtime mm-hmm. unless it really makes sense, right? Yep. So if you have that structure set up, to me, it's a no-brainer that you're only going to work hours of overtime where that employer is like, yes, we need you do this. Mm-hmm. Whereas if there's no repercussions, it's like, I could use you. Yeah, come on. Mm-hmm. You work that overtime, you know? For sure. Yeah. And I think that's probably plays more into like, you know, I think maybe as a society, we're like a little overproductive yeah. and, you know, just trying to make things and do things because we don't want to twiddle our thumbs or something like that. You know, Mm -hmm. there's just like people see idling and like, well, we just have to be doing something when instead of saying like, Oh, well this is what we have to do. And once we get that done, then we can do whatever we want. You Mm -hmm. know? And I think that salary kind of plays into it a little bit more too, because you know, the managers and, uh, you know, the big companies kind of see you as being there and, you know, on payroll and, you know, just sitting there not doing whatever that thing is you're doing, you know, or you're supposed to be doing, or even if you finish this thing early or whatever, they'll just scoop you up and throw you onto the next thing. Cause they don't care how many hours it takes because it doesn't cost them any more money. Cause mm-hmm. really, you know, you know, you get paid salary. So, right. Have you, have you read Malcolm Gladwell's the outliers? I think it's called. Uh, no, I haven't read that one yet. Are you familiar with that? I am, yeah. I've talked to Austin about it. He's read that one, yeah. Okay. In there, it's been 10 years, so I'm going off memory, but in there, they, this ties into all this. They talk about this little community in like New York or something like that, somewhere in the U.S. here, where it's a, a, a community of immigrants that had absurdly low rates of heart attack, different diseases, whatever, like they're like unexplainably so. Okay. And they went and studied them forever, like trying to figure out what the heck's going on with these guys mm-hmm. and why on earth aren't you guys dying of heart attack and stroke and all these other things. And it had nothing to do with their heritage, nothing to do with anything they did, eat, exercise, whatever. Mm -hmm. The only difference they could come up with with that community is that they, throughout their processes, they stopped and talked to each other. 
like walking home from work, they stopped and said, Hey, Kathy, how are you doing? How are you doing? Right. How's Johnny doing? Whatever. Like that was integrated in their society mm-hmm. or into their culture versus the other culture that was nose down, get business done. Right. For sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd have to go back. And again, this has been 10 years or whatever since I read it. So I'm, I don't know if I'm hundred percent getting the story right, but the, the concept is there that like, Mm-hmm. Again, it ties back to stress too, right? Like mm-hmm. that, those kind of things have a huge impact on your life, your longevity, your current frame of mind, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Um, so you talk about like our society potentially being too high strung and too productive. Mm-hmm. I could see that for sure. Not putting enough value in uh, mental health, uh, mm-hmm. state of mind, all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, it kind of goes back to you know, our overconnectedness too. like, yeah. you know, technically we can reach anybody through our phones, but it's not the same as seeing somebody face to face and shaking their hand or giving, you know, somebody a hug that you haven't seen in a while. Yeah. And I think because it's so easy to see people or talk to people from a distance, we kind of lose that more human connection, you know, mm-hmm. talking to your phone, even though it has their face on it is not the same as, you know, seeing them face to face. Right. And I think we've lost a lot of that. Uh, you know, just by moving more and more into technology and all the social media stuff and stuff like that. And, you know, humans are a very social creature. Like our social structures are like the, such a huge part of how we got from living in caves to, you know, farming to where we are now. Mm-hmm. And now we've kind of like broken that link. And so what happens to us in our inside of our, you know, lizard brain, you know, way back in the, you know, the recesses of our evolution, how does that get affected when we lose that social structure that we've been using for, you know, 20,000, 30,000 years that we've evolved through like, who knows what that does? It mm-hmm. doesn't seem to be great so far. So yeah. I don't know. But yeah, it totally makes sense to me that, you know, those people that have all those personal connections, you know, a probably have a lot lower stress because they're taking the time to walk down the road and stop, you know, at this person's house and have a chat for five minutes because they don't need to be at the next thing or they don't have to, you know, go do this thing right now. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they're, they're slowing down a little bit, you know, kind of like you talked about. And then also getting that actual, you know, human connection face to face, I bet is just huge as well. Right. Right. Again, this is stuff that I've, I've thought about for quite a while, but more like very pertinent to me right now, just dealing with the, on the health side of things, trying mm-hmm. to figure out what is stress, what does it come from? How do you work with it? Whatever. Right. Um, but talking about the PCT is I'd thought about it for a couple of years now, two, three years. And I've just, Oh man, I'm so excited. I want to do it. I don't think I, maybe I will be able to someday when I'm either retired or we could talk about it a different way. But mm-hmm. anyways, the funny story is we did a huge loop, my wife. And at the time, our two little ones, a uh, couple falls ago and ended up going to Yosemite, like oh, hit the nice. West coast, went to Yosemite, whatever else Amazing. is unbelievable. And I told myself, I'm just going to walk at least 10 feet of the PCT, which would be the John Muir going yep. through yep. Yosemite. John right? Muir Trail, yeah. uh, I can't wait. I'm going to hike 10 feet of it. And as we were coming up to it in some meadows, Hannigan meadows, or I don't even know. Uh, yeah. Either way in, in Yosemite, wherever, wherever <laughs> mm-hmm. the PCT crossed the yeah, Yosemite. Tuolumne, yeah. Okay. I, I just threw out a name, but anyways, yeah. So we're getting to there and our daughter or our son was crying and just about to fall asleep. So I had no choice, but to just continue driving. So oh, we made man. it all the way to Yosemite uh, to the PCT to walk 10 feet of it. And I just drive right past that's it. That's tough. Yeah. Oh man. No, that's a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> man. Which is whatever. It's that's a- right. You, you can hold that over his head though for like the rest of his life. Yeah. <laughs> Some good leverage. <laughs> right. Which whatever. And just incentive to get back there. Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's another thing I think about though, is how could you get there and do it? Like for me, I've got three little ones. You've got to support a family, whatever, which again, we're all in different places in life. I think anybody mm-hmm. you ask to has, if it's not that it's something else for yeah. you, it's the business, whatever. Right. Yeah. Uh, 
the only way in my head, and I, I'm almost almost saying this because I think if you talk about something enough, potentially like life brings it to you. I oh, don't sure, know, yep. Uh, is that if the only way I could do it is if I hiked it, maybe took the podcast equipment with me and mm-hmm. like did podcasts along the way, like meet somebody. Hey, what's your story? What are you into? Why are you here? Whatever. Which maybe mm-hmm. that's been done. I don't know. I'm curious, but. Yeah, I don't know of any, but there could be some out there. But yeah, that, yeah. that'd be a cool thing to do because you meet all sorts of people out there. <laughs> right, right. All sorts of different stories. Uh, so then do that, but then have my wife and kids leapfrog with me. Essentially, oh, they're, yeah, the, yeah. they're the support network. And mm-hmm. then I don't know. I'd probably, you'd probably have to almost do it in two summers because I'd want to spend a lot of quality time with them. Sure, so yeah. say you'd hike for four days, spend four days with them, hike for four days, spend four days with them. And mm-hmm. there's got to be sections you got to do seven or whatever, like, you know, break mm-hmm. it up. But to me, that's the only way, either that or when I'm 60. Like I don't see an in between. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like a really good question. Like you said, you know, you can always make up excuses for it and stuff like that. And, uh, but yeah, that'd be a really cool way to do it. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people that have done kind of similar to that, that are doing, uh, you know, going for the FKT or something like that. We'll have like a a support crew Mm -hmm. and, you know, they're obviously, you know, basically running on the trail, which is a different deal, (laughs) but that would be a really cool way to do it. And, you know, thinking back, if I was a kid, I would love to do that. (laughs) That sounds like a great couple summers to me. (laughs) So, you know, that'd be a really cool way to do it. Introduce them to, you know, the trail and the hiking and all that stuff. And then they get to see that part of the country. Mm -hmm. That, That sounds awesome. Yeah. But, you know, like you said, it's, how do you find that balance with everything else going on in the real world and trying to go disappear for three months at a time? It it is a little easier said than done, (laughs) especially, you know, if you got kids, I can't imagine trying to figure that out logistically. Yeah. Right. Right. But I wonder at what age could they just join you? Could you just go as a whole family? Uh, so we know this, uh, one family, the uh, the Nettebergs, uh, that hikes the continental divide trail this past summer. Okay. Yeah. This past summer. Uh, and we actually, uh, made some backpacks for them and it's, I, I forget all their ages, but it's, you know, the mom and dad. And then there's two boys that are, I think like 10 and 12 or something mm. like that. And then two girls that were, uh, I feel like they were like you know, six and eight somewhere mm-hmm. in there in that mm-hmm. range. And then they had a baby. Wow. <laughs> and so all of them were all hiking on the CDT and they went out and they did it all. Unreal. And, uh, it was crazy. So we like made a couple like, you know, child size, you know, fully framed backpacks for yeah. the kids and stuff like that, which was cool. They were like these really cute, tiny backpacks, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, people do it. Like, it, you know, it's, it's definitely doable. Uh, you know, that family, uh, they got some really responsible kids is what it seems like, you mm-hmm. know, that definitely you can kind of tell just from talking to them and like watching them that, you know, this kid definitely helped raise this one. And then this one helped raise the next one. So they're all pretty responsible and got good heads on their shoulders and stuff. But, mm-hmm. uh, it's definitely doable. You know, if you, if you prep your kids for it, uh, you know, I, I don't know what the right answer is for age. You know, like I said, they were out there with like a one year old baby who obviously didn't hike, you know, themselves. But, right. Uh, you know, I think it's up to you and your kid and what you're comfortable with but it's definitely doable yeah so who knows maybe it is more realistic than i would have thought yeah i mean you, you never know i guess until you start trying stuff so maybe you try with a some smaller hikes and stuff like that and see if you can give them the bug and get mm-hmm. them excited about it and kind of go from there yeah yeah so we'll see again i i i believe that if you talk about it and you you're like engaged in it like eventually it just happens somehow mm-hmm. you know i don't know but that's where, like, I think back to you and your PCT. To my, I'm thinking, like, man, you got to get back there, right? Uh, yeah, I want to. <laughs> yeah. But again, it's that balance, right? Of like, yeah. yeah. You know, there's always trade offs, and, you know, the, you know, the choices you make are your own, and you got to go with the consequences. And it's like, yep, 
yeah, it seemed like I had you know a window to go hike the PCT. It was geared up for do it, and then that didn't happen. And then we chose to kind of fully invest in this business. And what comes with that is the trade off of you know I can't just you know leave for a while at least mm-hmm. at this point uh, with everything going on. And so you know you just gotta gotta roll with the punches and hope for the best, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Do you miss the uh, traditional engineering role, or do you like where you're at? Um, there are parts that I, that I do kind of miss, you know, it was fun, um, you know, um, like doing like some real mechanical design kind of stuff and like, you know, dealing with gear ratios and, you know, the horsepower from the motor to, you know, whatever you're trying to drive and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I do miss some of that, like some of the harder math kind of stuff, which was kind of challenging and trying to figure out all that stuff. And, uh, you know, looking, uh, especially through like you know, things that would break was always super interesting to me. Cause mm. I was you know, interested in like, why did this happen? Like what causes this to look this way? So like the problem solving that comes with that, which we still do a lot of, you know, here at the shop, uh, you know, making backpacks and stuff like that, but it's a little more, you know, lower level rudimentary. It's not like, okay, well this, you know, had this much force on it and, you know, was way past the yield strength or, you know, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a lot less math involved nowadays. (laughs) Right. But, uh, yeah, there's definitely parts I miss, but, you know, I don't think that, I don't think that my job was better in some regards. You know, it it was definitely different. Um, And I got to experience a lot of different things when I was at that job. I worked for Milwaukee Tool. I guess I should have mentioned that Mm -hmm. beforehand. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, Milwaukee Tool, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, so I was making power tools, which was fun because who doesn't like to play with power tools? Right, <laughs> and, right. um, but yeah, so, I mean, there's definitely things I miss, but when I go back, uh, I'm going to try not to, yeah. <laughs> it seems like this is the better path for now, at least. So yeah. Um, you know, and I got, you know, nothing against, you know, Milwaukee tool as a company either. Like it was a great job. I learned all sorts of, you know, crazy stuff. Uh, you know, there are parts of it I didn't like, I didn't really like living in Milwaukee was probably the biggest thing I didn't like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but, uh, you know, as a company in general, it was probably the best company I've worked for personally. Um, but yeah, I'm going to try and make a go of this. I don't miss it enough yet to, to quit, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Right. The, uh, I've got one last question. Unless you've got anything else that we should have covered, didn't cover anything. I'm curious for you, the, like, do you have, you talked about some of the stories, but craziest story, scariest moment, funniest moment, randomest moment. Do you have some extreme on the, like on that Pacific Crest trail or different hikes that you've had that, uh, come to mind. I'm just curious if you got one last um, tidbit. So yeah, so I mean, probably the funniest one was, "Do you want some cheese?" Yeah, that was like the most <laughs> random thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> but uh, probably my scariest moment and my lowest point on the trail was, I think it was my third day, I think, um, and we were climbing out of this valley up out of the desert um, to like these kind of higher hill areas and stuff like that. And I think it was like, you know, eight miles of just kind of constant up the whole time. And it Mm -hmm. wasn't like super steep, but I forget what the elevation was by the time we, you know, actually made it up there. Uh, But I ended up getting like super, super dehydrated. Mm -hmm. And and it was the point where I was going, you know, 25 feet and then stopping and standing there for a little bit. And I'm like, you know, trying to drink water, but you know, I had some water on me, but I wasn't quite sure how far up the next water source was which you know it ended up being 
you know, a few miles past like the top of these hills, there was a Creek that we all ended up camping by. So I could have drank a lot more water than what I was doing, but because I was being an idiot, I like just didn't know that or didn't think to look or whatever. So mm-hmm. by the time I got to camp, uh, I was feeling really bad, you know, I had a screaming headache and I was pretty worried cause I, you know, we were way out there at this point. Um, but it was to the point where, you know, I was trying to eat and I like was too dehydrated to eat mm. and I would like try and eat something and then I would just throw it back up oh, and I like couldn't get anything down and keep it down. And I was pretty scared and I was not feeling good. And I was like, wow, I really don't want to die out here of something this dumb. Yeah. <laughs> like, but, um, basically what I ended up doing is, you know, I, uh, you know, before going to bed and I try to drink a bunch of water, I like filled up all my water bottles and then I just set like an alarm on my phone and like every hour or two hours I would wake up and try and drink as much water as I can stomach and then go back to sleep. And by the time I woke up in the morning, I was feeling pretty okay. And like, I actually got some breakfast down. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and over the course of that day, I started feeling a lot better. Uh, but yeah, word of the wise, drink water, know where the next water source is. Don't be afraid to drink all your water. If you know, it's going to be coming up because that was not a good time at all. That was really yeah. bad. <laughs> right. So that was probably my scariest point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then again, that ties back to the mental side too. Hey, cause mm-hmm. once you come out the other side of that, yeah. You yeah. felt good probably. Huh? Yeah. I yeah. felt, I was like, wow, I survived this. That's good. <laughs> but you know, now, you know, the other part with that too is like, you know, um, uh, when it first started happening, you know, uh, there's a difference between, you know, cramping up because you're going up this hill and your muscle is cramping and you're tired versus I'm cramping up in this area because I'm super dehydrated. So, mm-hmm. you know, coming out and through that, you kind of learn more about yourself and how your body responds, which is like a whole nother thing that you learn about on trail is, you know, you got to listen to your body and your feet and your joints and all this sort of stuff. And if something starts bothering you or something weird starts happening, you, you know, maybe you change your gaits and how you walk a little bit, or maybe you start, uh, you know, doing some different nutrition and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, after going through that, you know, you kind of get a, a better vibe for what are the flags that my body's putting up? Like, all right, this is, you know, feels really weird. This is a cramp in a strange place and not really a muscle I'm using. That should be a red flag. It says, okay, it's not just me going up this hill and exerting myself. I probably need to do something else. Like when's the last time I ate? When's the last time I had water mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. So there's definitely, you know, like you said, the mental aspect of, you know, getting through it and like, wow, I, you know, I got through this thing. I'm feeling a lot better. This is great. It's just, I'm having fun again, but then you kind of catalog it in your mind of, okay, I don't want to do that again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what are the early warning signs and what should I be watching out for to prevent this from happening? And I think that's like a, one of those things you learn on the trail kind of, uh, you know, when you learn it about yourself and how your body works and stuff like that, just the small things that you learn physically about yourself and how your own body works because, um, you know, you can read books and stuff about anatomy and all this other stuff, but everybody's different. Everybody works in a little bit quirky in different ways. And sometimes, you know, and again, because everything's so busy in our day-to-day lives, we don't really listen to our bodies a whole lot. And mm-hmm. then we end up with all these issues because we don't, you know, see the signs earlier on. So that was like another benefit of trails. You know, you kind of get a little more in tune with yourself and you kind of figure out, you know, where are your hurdles and you know what's a lot for you what's super casual for you what things you can and can't do and that transfers off trail as well so like once you kind of learn those things and you have the time to you know think about it yourself because you know you there's a lot of vast open spaces to just think mm-hmm. <laughs> and not do a whole lot else and you know sometimes there's not a lot else to do other than to look around and feel whatever you're feeling it's kind of meditative you know 
and you know that you can take that for the rest of your life once you figure that stuff out yeah i've heard i heard one guy talk about this is in the backpack hunting perspective that like you take a week by yourself or even with people or whatever but uh out there in the woods or hiking or whatever is like you got bones in the closet or skeletons in the closet they're going to come back up does that mm-hmm. make sense like yeah you, you kind of think have to about all sorts of stuff your mind just kind of wanders around and yeah you just think about stuff from like you know early childhood uh you know you know something your parents told you you know the couple weeks ago like you can mm-hmm. go anywhere yeah because you just have so much free time to let your brain wander right I mean, anything could come up yeah <laughs> which is good and bad potentially yeah potentially yeah 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 what about if anybody wants to check you out you guys on instagram facebook websites all that kind of stuff yeah so yeah we're on uh, instagram facebook uh chicken tramper ultralight gear uh i think the instagram handle might just be chicken tramper gear i'm not sure uh but then uh, chicken tramper is the website and that'll have all of our social medias and stuff at the bottom as well uh it's got all of our products on there and then me and austin's story and then also our phone numbers if anybody's got any questions about any gear and stuff like that feel free to give us a call Mm-hmm. And some of the cool products are, are what's some of your best sellers? Water bottle pockets? Some yeah, stuff so like the that. water bottle sleeve is probably like our number one seller. And right now we have that in four sizes. So we just came out uh, with a new size. So we have uh, two sizes that fit the smart water bottles. So the mm-hmm. one liter and the 0.7 liter smart water bottle. Uh, and then we have another size that fits these Canuck, uh collapsible water bottle sleeves, which mm-hmm. are like a vinyl sleeve, which are super handy, you know, because they're all soft sided. So they you know, just take up whatever, you know, volume is in there and then are flexible. So I'll like fill one up like three quarters of the way full and I can shove it inside my fanny pack and it just kind of, you know, mellows out in there to whatever shape it needs to be. And the other benefit that I found with these uh, soft side ones is they're much easier to drink out of laying down than an algae. <laughs> Seems like whenever I'm laying down and trying to drink out of an algae, I sp- you know spill a bunch on my face. Oh, yeah. But these flexible ones are much easier to drink out. <laughs> so that's usually my selling point to those because no one likes dumping water on themselves in their sleeping bag like in the middle of the night trying to get some water. Right. right. So, uh, so we have those, and then uh, we just came out with an algae size with a water bottle sleeve as well. And so those all attach to basically the shoulder strap, the front shoulder strap of any backpack. Uh, there's a couple different attachment methods, and those are all outlined on our website as well. Uh, but super versatile, fit on basically any bag. Uh, those are our best sellers. Um, and then, you know, we make wallets as well. So we have three different sizes of wallet now. Uh, one is the standard, you know, size that we've been making for years. And uh, we got a bunch of people that said, well, I really wish this was a little bit smaller, like just the credit card size, like just want my credit card to fit. And then we had a bunch of people that said, well, I wish this was a little bit bigger so I could put my passport in and all hmm. that stuff. So we made both of those. So now we got three sizes. So we got the mini, the standard, and the large for whichever one you prefer. Um, and that's probably, you know, out of those different sizes, that's our next best seller for sure. Okay. And yeah, different accessories, different options. So go check it out. Hey, mm-hmm. yep. Lots of different stuff, phone pockets, uh, waterproof zipper pockets, uh, all sorts of different things, dog bowls, totes, you know, camera bags, lots of random stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, Nathan, I appreciate it. Fun to hear about. And again, like I said, it's this time of year where I'm excited to get mm-hmm. back out there. Yeah, for sure. It's starting to, to warm about. up there and the ice is breaking up a little bit, at least for now. So yeah. <laughs> everybody's getting the itch. Yeah. Right. Right. But yeah, appreciate that. Thanks. This was fun. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was great chatting with you. Yeah. Yeah. Hey guys, thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have, and you feel so inclined Share this podcast with your friends, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen, and give us some feedback with a review. Until next time, thank you.